So a couple weeks ago, we started a list of rules of revelation. Now that we've learned to recognize, okay, I, I can see the voices that come. I know how he's going to speak. How do I increase him speaking? How, what are the rules of revelation? So we, we looked at the Jaredites. The Jaredites are a marvelous lesson on how to improve and increase revelation. Lessons like get off the beach, right? Do you remember that lesson? We've got to get off the beach. So, so sometimes the mistake we make is we sit there waiting for Heavenly Father to do everything. Do you believe your best, move, your best strategy of moving forward is to have Heavenly Father tell you everything to do? Do you honestly believe that's your best course of action is just wait for Heavenly Father to tell you what to do and then do that? Nice. It would be nice. It would free us of some responsibility. But is that in your best interest? It is not. Am I being a good parent if I tell my children everything to do? So how do we improve? How do we facilitate revelation? That was the list we began. So today what I want to do is just kind of, we're going to add one to the list. I know we've got two or three on the list. We're just going to add one to the list and we're going to spend all night doing it. And I promise we will come back in the end to the Jaredites. But allow me, I invite you to have an apostolic attitude today. Do you remember during the Last Supper when Jesus said, one of you will betray me? And every single one of them responded, how? Not one of them said, I know who it is, it's that shifty-eyed Judas over there. Every one of them said, Lord, is it I? We have a tendency to hear messages of the gospel and kind of point to other people or other times in our life. Allow me to invite you to have an apostolic attitude today because I am going to testify from the very beginning that one of the single greatest things you can do to hear him better is to pray better. Pray more and pray better. Now, I love teaching children how to pray. It's a delight to teach children how to pray. But it is thrilling to teach grown-ups how to pray. One of my favorite moments in the New Testament, turn with me to Luke chapter 11. New Testament, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Watching Jesus pray. Oh, come on. Update. All right, I'm going to have to do this account. I accidentally deleted my New Testament, so for the time being, it's gone. It'll come back in just a second. But I deleted my New Testament, so now I have the Gospel Library version. Watching Jesus pray. Now, do you think Peter was novice spiritually? Do you think his call to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles was he was just an innocent newcomer? I think these men were great spiritual giants, and yet watching Jesus pray, it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased. After they heard him pray and saw him pray, what did the grown-ups say? Lord, Teach me to pray. 
How about we have a very grown-up discussion about praying better? Does your soul acknowledge that if you prayed more and prayed better, you would hear him better? Do we all kind of say, yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. If I prayed more and if I prayed better, I would hear. Now, does that necessarily mean I need to spend more time praying? Maybe, maybe not. But I can be better in my prayers. <clears throat> now, would you be humble enough to let a 14-year-old teach you how to pray? One of the greatest sermons on how to pray is the first vision. I love it as a doctrinal commentary on the restoration. If you were to pinpoint a moment the restoration begins, what would the moment be? The first vision, right? So I read the first vision and say, I just shout from the rooftops, yay, the restoration has begun. But this is a simple story of a 14-year-old boy who has a question and gets an answer. And if we just kind of relax our eyes a little bit and take the grandioseness of the prayer out, how did he get that answer? And may I suggest that all of us can learn some great lessons on how to pray better from that 14-year-old boy. So turn with me to the first vision. Joseph Smith history, pearl of great price. Let's see if we can make some, learn some lessons on how to pray. Um, I'm going to use this version, but I just, I just taught FSY on hearing him and the first video. So please ignore my comments because this was for them, not necessarily for this class. But I was highlighting how similar their day, Joseph Smith's day is to our day. Maybe we ought to do a few of those. No small stir and division among the people. Sound familiar? No small stir and division among the people. How about this one? When the converts began to file off, some to one party and some to another, it was seen that the seemingly good feelings of both parties and the converts were more pretended than real. A scene of great confusion and bad feeling ensued. You ever walked away from a group only to be attacked by them? And all the good you thought, all the brotherhood that you thought you felt is now being thrown against you in vicious darts. This is Joseph Smith's day. How about this one? Have you ever felt like this? In the midst of this war of words and tumult of opinions, I often said to myself, what is to be done? Who is right and who is wrong? And how in the world am I going to know? You ever felt like that? So let's let this 14-year-old teach us how to pray. I want to start in um, verse 8. During this time of great excitement, my mind was called up to serious reflection. Serious reflection and great uneasiness. But though my feelings were deep and often poignant, I would invite you to start to ask, 
do I prepare to pray? Do I ponder and think? Do I prepare myself mentally to pray? Notice Joseph went through a period of serious reflection. Do I ponder what I'm praying about like he pondered what he was praying about? Are my feelings deep and often poignant? Or is my attitude to prayer just kind of flippant? Don't raise your hands because I think we're all guilty, but do you kind of find yourself becoming casual in your prayers? Almost as if it's just kind of ritualistic. Oh, it's dinner time, so we better pray. Oh, I'm going to bed, so I better pray. Instead of the earnestness that this man felt. If we do a cross-reference, tell me about Enos and his prayer. What words did Enos use relative to prayer? He called it a wrestle. Are you taking some time and mentally preparing to talk to your Heavenly Father. Now, next one I think is significant. If you want more help with Revelation, you need to get off the beach. You need to do your part. Joseph is asking about a religion, but notice what he does. I want to point out two things that we often fail to do in our prayers, and we put it on Heavenly Father instead of taking the responsibility. Tell me the first thing that Joseph does. He wants to know which church is true. So what does he do? He goes there. He goes to their meetings. He's not sitting back waiting for Heavenly Father to point to the church. He goes to his meetings. You will find out where Heavenly Father wants you to go by going there. i give you an example. A dear friend of mine was called as a mission president who has a severely handicapped son. And they were concerned. The church, the missionary department was concerned about the accommodations. Will this work for your son? So they kept calling him and saying, if we sent you to this place and it had this, would that work for your son? Well, what about this place with this accommodation? Would that work for your son? And my friend in frustration said, just call me where the Lord wants me. And guess what the missionary department said? That's what we're trying to figure out. But we have this idea that, oh, the Lord will just tell them the right place to go. No, go figure it out. Go find it out. Take the responsibility to do all that you can to educate yourself to the best possible solution. He attended their meetings as often as occasion would permit. I think that's a rule of prayer we need to talk about. If you're praying for an eternal companion and you're sitting back and waiting for the Lord to point him out or her out or to bring them to the door, you're missing the point. If you're praying, help Heavenly Father answer your prayer and attend the meetings as often as occasion will permit. Now, tell me what the second one is. Not only did he go, but somehow this one gets lost in the story. Joseph is wondering what church to, to, to join and tell me what he does. Read it carefully. Sorry, <gasps> my power gonna die. 
Okay, you read it carefully. I'll be right back. Tell me what he does. What's number two? Okay, tell me what you see. What did he do? I think this is critical and we often forget this. He did have one particular set that he was going through. He made a choice. I think this is critical. He exercised his agency. Dan, do you remember two weeks ago we talked about the you know crossing the bread or crossing the Jordan River to get into the promised land? When was the Lord going to part the river? When they stepped in, right? Can you imagine the temptation to kind of stand on the bank waiting for him to part? Lord, open it up and then I'll move forward. And what was the rule? Move forward and then I'll open it up. Joseph chose. It's so much easier to say, Heavenly Father, here's what I'm choosing. Is that the right decision? Versus, tell me what to choose. Do you see the difference between those two scenarios? One says, I'm exercising my agency, now help me. The other one says, you exercise your agency. Do you see the rule? Joseph attended and Joseph chose. Now, here's what's scary. Which church did he choose? Does that strike anyone as odd? Because if you go back a few verses, what, do you, what, what was the uh? His mom joined the Presbyterians. He was willing to do what? He was willing to choose something outside of that comfort zone. I'm choosing something scary, but I'm choosing. I'm not waiting for the Lord to choose. I taught someone, I had a friend who, when she graduated from high school, her dad was called as a mission president in Japan. 18 years old and her parents are leaving to go to Japan for three years. Do you go with them? and maybe delay your education because you don't want to go to school in Japan, but your family's there. Or do you go to school and live without your mom and dad for three years when you're 18? And she prayed and prayed and prayed and no answer came. Why? Now I know one reason we talked about two weeks ago, but what might be another answer? She was waiting for God to make a decision. And God was probably waiting for her to make a decision. I think that's significant. He was willing to choose the scary choice, but Joseph made a decision. All right, any other thoughts? Where does he go? Well, he tries to the Methodist church, but he still is hit with a brick wall because there's just so much noise. Yeah. And so where does he go? <coughs> the scriptures. So he turns to the scriptures. Do the scriptures answer his question? 
do the scriptures tell him which church to join? No. So what role do the scriptures play in his answer? Meaning what? What do you mean? How does it lead him? It's like he made the action and then he chose something and then kind of Heavenly Father was like, okay, it's going to help you push you into that way where you can make more choices and act in more ways. So maybe when I'm seeking an answer and I need Heavenly Father to speak to me, I open doors that put me in a frame of mind where he can answer me. The scriptures did not answer the question, did they? They didn't tell him which church to join. But what did they tell him? You can, you can get this answer for yourself. And I wonder, why is it that we go to the temple when we're struggling with the decision? Do you see the logic? I'm not going to get an answer in the temple. The endowment is going to tell me whether or not I move to Japan or stay here. But going to the temple will do what? Tune my soul to him. When you are seeking an answer, do you do the things that tune your soul into him? Do you do the things that will facilitate an answer? Are you putting that type of effort? I love that he says, verse 12, tell me what the scriptures do to this young man. I reflected on it Again, never did any passage of Scripture come with more power to the heart of man than this does to mine. Is that your desire to talk to Heavenly Father? I reflected upon it again and again. This man is preparing for an answer. Do you see why his answer, even though that was grandiose, why does his answer come? Because of what's the environment he's creating. Okay, now let's get to the actual prayer. I wanted to add something. Please. Uh, for the scripture too, it's very interesting. There's been another version of his vision, and it was collaborated by his brother William, that he found that scripture by attaining one of the meetings in either Presbyterian, I think it was Presbyterian because all of his family was there. It was the preacher who brought up that scripture, and he was like, if you want to join a church, Here's like James 1, 5. Yeah. And he heard it and he's like, oh, it's just a scripture. So he went back home and he read it for himself. Yeah, Joseph was not a scriptorian. And that's the interesting thing going back to going and doing. If he didn't go, he would not have heard that scripture. Yeah. If he hadn't put himself in a position to tune himself, he would not have received the answer. All right, let's get to the actual physical prayer. And again, how do you physically pray? Think about your typical act of praying. And let's see if we can learn something about Joseph Smith. First of all, I wanted to point out verse 14. So in accordance with this determination to ask of God, I think that phrase is significant. I retired to the woods to make the attempt, it was on the morning of a beautiful, clear day. Tell me what you see. I retired to the woods in the morning. Why woods and why morning? I don't think you have to pray in the morning. I am not an early riser. 
And some of you aren't early risers. And I don't think he's simply saying that God only speaks in the morning. But why the woods and why the morning? Rachel? Uninterrupted. And why the morning? Unrushed. I want to take the time it deserves. Uninterrupted and unrushed. Now, can I ask you to tell me about your typical prayers? And why are you all laughing? Because they're almost always rushed. Tell me when Mormons pray. When do, Latter-day, when do members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints typically pray? We pray before we leave the house, right? Come on, let's all pray. We got to go. We got to say morning prayer so we can go. And tell me what's happening. We're late and we're rushed. And then we pray before we eat and we're hungry and rushed. And then we pray before we go to bed because we're tired and we're rushed. Rarely do we pray in an environment that is uninterrupted and unrushed. Now, don't take this the wrong way, but what are you saying to Heavenly Father? Tell me what you are saying to Heavenly Father when you are rushed. The message I would get is, I don't care. This isn't important to me. It's my habit, but it's not important to me. Do you see why maybe I'm not hearing all that I could hear? If I simply committed a time to pray when I was unrushed and uninterrupted, it would change me. Amelia. <laughs> because as a missionary, you're like praying before you get out of the car, you're praying before you leave the apartment, you're like praying all the time. Um, and I feel like personally, like for me, it's been more of like a ha- it's been just like a habit. And I've noticed myself doing it. So it's interesting you're bringing this up because it's something I've been thinking about. But it's like, how do you get out of that funk of it just being? I love what he said here. In accordance with this, my determination. I think sometimes you just have to say, I'm going to change this. Can I give you an example? Um, I got so tired of food prayers that I told my family one day, we are not going to pray before we eat. Let's start eating. And when we're done eating and we are so grateful for what we ate, we will then pray after the meal before we walk away and just breaking the routine guess what it did it changed our mentality find a different time to pray don't stop praying when you do pray but deliberately find a time i even if it's once a week maybe it can't be once a a day But what if we just start by once a week, one time this week, I am going to deliberately find time to talk to Heavenly Father unrushed and uninterrupted. And I plan it. Now, as a cross-reference, let me show you. Let's see if my New Testament is back. I think Colin suggested that. I'm pretty sure. 
one of like the Hear Him videos or something, he was saying that it's important to pray vocally. Mm -hmm. And like when you're not, it's not 11 p.m. and you're like wanting to just like die and Yep. Break the routine. Find a why. Look at Jesus. How does Jesus pray? This is Mark chapter 1, verse 35. In the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. What was his day like? So in his case, he found a time when he was unrushed and uninterrupted. And he prayed. And I love in Joseph's account that he says, um, let's jump to verse 15. I want to get back to pray vocally, but jump to verse 15. After I retired to the place where I had, notice this, what does he say? Meaning what? He planned a place to pray. When I got to the place where I previously designed to pray. And I think there's the key. Do you plan it? Do you plan time to be unrushed and uninterrupted with your Heavenly Father? If the answer to that question is no, may I invite you to try it and watch the change it makes in your life. Unrushed, uninterrupted. Planned. And one more thing interesting about this part is that another version of this is that he said that his family was working that same woods that day and he looked around and he saw this was a great place to have that prayer. Yeah. So he stuck an axe on one of the stumps so that way he can remember to bring it back next time. Purpose planned. Now let's go back to the very end of verse 14. I don't know that. This is something you always have to do. But have you noticed that once in a while there's a real difference between a verbal prayer and a thought prayer? Can we pray in our thoughts? Of course. Can we pray in our heart? Can we feel a prayer? Yes. But what's the problem with praying in your thoughts? Say it. My mind gets so distracted. I can't tell you how many times I started a prayer and then by the end of the prayer, I'm like, how did I get here? How did I get here? Because I said Keegan in my prayer and that made me think of Steph Curry and then the Golden State Warriors. And now I'm thinking about Boston and now I'm thinking about the final. How am I thinking about the finals when I was trying to pray? It's because I said Keegan. Now that is less likely when you do what? Pray vocally. So let me just throw that out as one thing to think about. If you're alone, if you're unrushed and uninterrupted, pray vocally to keep your mind on track. Now, what happens next? There is a force that's going to try and stop you from praying. Are you prepared to face the opposition and the obstacles that are going to get in the way? If you innocently think nothing is going to try and stop you from praying, you are mistaken. I guarantee 
There are going to be challenges and obstacles. Will you? How does he get through the thick darkness? Look at verse 16. How does he get through the forces trying to prevent him from praying? Exerting all my powers. Be prepared. In one of the accounts of the first vision, he heard footsteps. And so he stood up. How did Satan stop his prayer? Footsteps. That was it. That's all that was necessary. Joseph stood right up, stopped praying. Are you prepared for the obstacles that are going to come? And will you fight through it? Now, the other thing that I love is when the Savior comes and they pray or they speak. My object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which of all the sects was right, that I might know which to join. No sooner, therefore, did I get possession of myself as to be able to speak than I asked the personages who stood in the light. Which of all these sects was right? Now notice what he adds. For at this time, it had never entered into my heart that they were all wrong. But what was the answer? What was the answer? They're all wrong. In other words, are you prepared for God to give you an answer you're not expecting? Have you opened up yourself to the possibility that the answer is none of the above? Instead, it's this. Or do you walk in saying, Lord, it's A or B. You got to tell me. Those are the only possibilities I will accept. I love that, that Joseph had never thought that they were all wrong. And the answer was, they're all wrong. Now, one implied one is, tell me what Joseph does. After this vision, tell me what he does. He goes out and does what he's been told. Are you willing to do what he's going to tell you? Do you go into prayer saying, Lord, I'm, I'm asking and whatever you tell me is what I will do? Or do you push back? Do you push back if the answer isn't what you wanted? Now, allow me to end there, but the best place to teach that is back in the Jaredites. Turn with me back to the Jaredites, but let's go to chapter 6. Let's go to Ether chapter 6. <clears throat> and I want to work backwards. And unfortunately, I didn't bring enough colors. Shoot. All right, I've got three colors. We'll use three colors. Let's start backwards. Ether chapter 6. Let me pull up the Book of Mormon. So turn to Ether chapter 6. All right, tell me what's going to happen to this boat. All right, five and six, Ether chapter six, five and six. Tell me what's going to happen to the boat. Not what's doing it. Just focus right now on what's going to happen to the boat. Do you see it in five and six? 
Yell it out. It's going to be tossed. The boat is going to be tossed. Kind of like your life, right? You are a boat in the middle of a sea and along comes and you're going to be tossed. How many times has your life been tossed? All right, what else? Tell me what else is going to happen. Buried. Buried. And I know, I, all know, I know every one of us have been buried by life. Life buries us. It tosses us. It buries. And one more that I think is fascinating. That's, hold on. That's what's doing. Tell me what's going to happen to the boat. Tossed. Buried. Broke upon. In other words, something else is breaking and dumping on me. I didn't do this, but I'm paying for it. How many of you have ever been broke upon? Your parents' marriage breaks up and your life gets ruined. I didn't do this, but I got broke upon. I think that's a fascinating phrase. Sorry about my pen. Broke upon. Okay, now step back one step. What's doing that? What's tossing the boat? And what's burying it? It's, ta- it's doing it by what? Keep going. Be specific here. Mountain waves and a great and terrible tempest. So what's tossing the boat are mountain waves and a great and terrible tempest. Okay, now what's causing the tempest? What's the winds, right? What's causing the tempest? Which were caused by the fierceness of the wind. So the wind is causing waves and the tempest, which are breaking upon my boat and tossing it and burying it, right? So where's the wind coming from? Go back to chapter 2, Ether chapter 2, verse 25. Where's the wind coming from? God is blowing the wind. I prepare you against these things, for you cannot cross this great deep, save I prepare you against the waves of the sea and the winds which have gone forth and the floods which shall come. Therefore, what will ye? Sorry, it's 24, isn't it? There it is, 24. Nevertheless, I will bring you up out of the depths of the sea, for the winds have gone forth out of my mouth. So who's causing the wind? God is blowing the wind that's creating mountain waves that are beating upon me. So what do we pray for? If someone, if the Lord is saying, what do you want me to do? Don't you think at one point the brother of Jared says, I got a solution. I got a great solution. Do you see the solution? What's the solution? I have a solution for the boat. What's the solution? Stop blowing the wind. 
In other words, that prayer is change my circumstances. Change my circumstances. But what does this story tell you? He's causing the circumstances. He's the reason for the circumstances. And your prayer is change them. So here's the problem. If I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus Christ, I need to be praying for what Jesus wants to give me. It is not a prayer in the name of Christ if I am not praying for something Christ wants to give me. It is in my name. And the irony is I'm asking him to change my circumstances when he's causing them. Now, how many times do you pray, take my pain away, change my circumstance, fix my mom, fix the problem I'm facing, change my circumstance. Now, what was his prayer? What was his question? His question is what? Tell me what his question is. Brock, what's his question? Okay, even though, but what was this question? How can I prepare what does the boat need? Tell me what the boat needs. In other words, one prayer is change my circumstances. But what's the next prayer? Change me. Change me. I don't think it's wrong to pray that the circumstances change. Let me show you perhaps one of the greatest prayers of all prayers. Turn to Matthew chapter 26 and let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, Jesus uttered two prayers in Gethsemane. Now we're going to have to jump to Luke to get the second one. Be prepared to go to Luke. Notice in verse 36, they come to Gethsemane. Verse 39 is prayer number one. Tell me what prayer number one is. Someone read it. What's prayer number one? Anyone want to read verse 39? Matthew 26, 39. Now, I know he always put the Father's will as a, as a contingent, but what's he praying? Tell me what he's praying for. Change my circumstance. If it's good enough for Jesus to pray for it, it's good enough for me. I'm not going to not pray that my mom's cancer go away. I'm going to pray, change my circumstances. Jesus said, change my circumstances. Take the cup away. Take the pain away. Take the problem away. Now, what Matthew doesn't tell us is what happened after the prayer. So turn to Luke chapter 22, and let's get what happens after the prayer. Luke twenty-two forty-two is the same prayer. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What does Luke say happened next? An angel came to strengthen him. In other words, what was the answer? Why was the angel there? What was the answer to his first prayer? The cup is not going away. The cup is not going away. 
And as much as you pray, sometimes the Father's answer is the cup is not going to go away. So Jesus prays a second time. Knowing the cup is not going to go away, what's his second prayer? Look at verse 42. Very different tone this time, isn't it? Who read it? Read 42. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. What was the ask? If that's the statement, what was the ask? What's he asking for? If it's not going away, then what? That's the ask. So what was his first prayer? Change my circumstances. What was his second prayer? Change me. Change me. Recognize when you're praying for a change of circumstances and give God a but if not. Now, I don't know if I'm praying in the name of Jesus, if I'm asking for a change of circumstances. I don't know if Jesus wants to give me that. But I do know that he wants to change me. Let me give you an example. Young mother, baby colicky, cries all the time, all night long. Mom hasn't slept in days. What's her first prayer? What's her obvious first prayer? Bless my baby to sleep tonight. Now, I don't know if I'm praying in the name of Jesus because I don't know if that's what Jesus wants me to have. So what if she uttered a second prayer? What would be a, an appropriate, but if not second prayer? That's an ask. Great, I like that. But give me a prayer. Give me a change me. Prayer number one is bless my baby to sleep. But if not, bless me with patience tomorrow. Bless me to love him as thou loves him tomorrow. Now, which one do you know Jesus wants to give me? Which one is definitely a prayer in the name of Jesus? Don't stop praying for the storm, but pray for the boat. If you examine your prayers, I would, I would guess that most of your prayers are change my circumstance. Change that and pray for you. And watch how your prayers and your answers to your prayers change. One more. Let me just show you that in print. First Nephi chapter 7, verse 17. What did Nephi pray for and what didn't he pray for? First Nephi 7, 17. What was his prayer? This is where his brothers have tied him up and they're going to leave him to die in the wilderness. Notice carefully what he prayed for. 
What would you say if you were bound hand and foot, tied in the wilderness? What would you say to Heavenly Father? Get me out of this. Make it stop. What was Nephi's prayer? Bless me with the strength to get myself out of this. Do you see the difference? Instead of saying, change my circumstances, tell me what he was changing. What was he asking for? Strength to change me and I'll change my circumstances. Powerful lessons about prayer. May I invite you to change your prayers. Pray better and you will hear him better. Plan prayers, unrushed, uninterrupted. If you're asking Heavenly Father with help for a decision, do your homework. Help him answer your prayer. Do all that you can but pray better with all my soul. I tell you that perhaps the single greatest thing you can do to hear him better is to pray better and pray more often. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.